Welcome to One Weird Trick, a podcast giving advice for better living. Your hosts, Aaron and Cecily, have zero legal, medical, or psychological qualifications to give advice. Please consider any advice you receive from them as being from well-meaning, but human and imperfect friends. Please consult actual professionals for any serious legal, medical, or mental help you may need. And now, here's Cecily and Aaron. Welcome back to One Weird Trick. We got a great show today. Cecily's going to talk about the effects of prolonged stress and what effects it has on us, as well as how to mitigate the damage. And I'm going to talk about a subject near and dear to my heart, procrastination, and how a recent study suggests a novel approach to reducing it. But first, I just want to make sure everyone is aware of the fact that our next Patreon live stream is this week, April 9th, which is Thursday night at 7 p.m., if you're a patron, you should have already received a notification about this. And if you're at a tiger level or above, a link to submit questions, comments, or feedback. Really looking forward to seeing everybody uh, again this Thursday, April 9th at 7 p.m. And if you're not a patron, you can sign up today to get access to this upcoming live stream as well as all of our archived old ones immediately at patreon.com swizzbold. Without further ado, Cecily, what is your one weird trick for managing prolonged stress? I really struggled (laughs) this week to try to find something positive to talk about. So I promise you this will end on a positive note. Um, But I was just, I was just thinking about something that we're all going through right now. And that is prolonged stress. I can say that uh, as from my perspective, as an American, I think that I thought peak stress for me was happening around January of 2017. Uh, At the time, I was working more than 40 hours a week at a job that I was still passionate about, but I got along with all of my coworkers and I was happy, newly married, just bought a house. My family was also doing really well and everyone was happy. It just seemed like in January of 2017 that things were about to tip over into the dark place. The worst uh, possible timeline, you'd yeah. say? Trump was just elected, and I I will say that all of my fears then are a lot different than my fears now. Mm. Um, but things have just mounted, the stress has mounted significantly since then. I was laid off from that job last year, um, and everything is now on fire. Uh, personally, we've had a lot of struggles. Um You know, professionally, like I said, I was just laid off from that. And I don't feel like I need to list all of the world problems that have accumulated since then. But imagine all of that and a healthy dose of some personal struggle as well. Um, Basically, right now, if you don't die in a wildfire, then a hurricane will take you. Unless you get shot first before contracting the coronavirus. (laughs) So... I think we're all kind of on the same boat about that. Well, whether we want to admit to it or not, we literally are on the same in the same boat, this planet Earth. All of that to say that humans are not meant to endure prolonged periods of stress. So here's how stress works. A stressor happens and you produce an increased amount of stress hormones. Acute stress is short term, like you're getting mugged on the street. Uh, chronic stress is long-term when you can't fight or fly your way out of the situation. You either get the fuck out of that stressful situation, which is flight, or you fight it down. Either way, you ensure your survival, right? Or you lose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> either way, the stress ends. It needs to have an end. Um, us living in the state of con constant chronic stress is something that you can't face down or run away from. It just really deteriorates your mental and physical health. Uh, Your muscles are tense, you clench your jaw, your blood pressure spikes, and you're more prone to anxiety and you might even be more aggressive too. Um, This imbalance between your sympathetic nervous system and your parasympathetic nervous system is a result from not feeling in control. Mm -hmm. So just relax, chill out. It's that easy, right? (laughs) I know it sounds kind of dismissive because we're all stuck in our homes and stressed out alone and we're not sure when and if we'll get an end to the stress. So I've seen a lot of different opinions online, like people saying, now's the time to create, write that novel, finish that project. 
which is another kind of stress. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure to put on yourself. And, you know, I've seen a lot of people online also saying, like, did you know that Isaac Newton invented calculus when he fled the city for to wait out a plague? <laughs> when are you going to found a whole other branch of mathematics? Huh? Yes. Huh? What are you doing over there? Yeah. And there have been a lot of other people online saying, fuck you to whoever it is that's saying that you need to write Beethoven's third or something like that. Beethoven's turd, more likely. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. If it's a source of stress for you, is if writing the third or the turd or, you know, finishing that project is a source of stress for you, that's where you draw the line. That's absolutely not the point. No pressure. We're trying to avoid the stress, remember? Uh, I think what everyone is trying to say on either side, if I'm going to be generous with the internet's intentions is that you do need to give your body its control back. Your parasympathetic nervous system is the opposite of that fight or flight reflex. And that's something that I actually just discovered. They call it the feed and breed reflex. Have you heard this? Sounds hot. Yeah. But, you know, when you're feeding and breeding, that's when you're relaxed. Ah. This is where you relax and get fat and happy and your caveman brain forgets that wild animals want to kill you. Mm. Um, so... My weird tricks. You can recharge this by meditating, uh, sleeping, and taking naps gives your parasympathetic nervous system time to recharge. Um, making and digesting great meals. That's why you see a lot of people on Instagram like Florence Pugh making live meals and so much homemade bread lately. Eating couldn't be more of an on-the-nose opposite reaction to stress. Uh, and having sex too. You're feeding and breeding, right? Mm. Doing puzzles and finishing coloring books. For me, currently, it is playing Animal Crossing, which couldn't make me happier. <laughs> uh, I escaped my little island and I have all of my cute things and all of my cute friends, except after 6 p.m. when the tarantulas come out, and that's a huge source of stress yeah, for those me. are your the you really your your tension spikes once those tarantulas <laughs> come out they're aggressive uh the tarantulas are undergoing a lot of stress right now so yeah that's that's my one weird trick it might seem it might seem easy for me to say that you just need to relax but you do have to take some effort to recognize that you are enduring this prolonged period of stress and it's just not something that's going to be sustainable for you and the people around you. So take control. Take care of yourself. I love you. That's what I've got. What a cat. Um, also, another thing that this um, might dovetail into with is that I've heard that laughter was an evolutionary response uh, w with our primate ancestors to dismiss uh, stress at a group level that like if one of the apes thought that there was a leopard approaching or they heard something rustling the brush brushes and their you know cortisone level spiked and their adrenaline spiked and then it turns out it was just a squirrel then everybody would you know start hooting and laughing and that's a way for your body to dismiss all of that uh you know those those bad stress hormones yes absolutely tickle fights everyone have tickle fights so or that or like i've been um working my way through curb your enthusiasm which i've never seen mm -hmm. somehow i've avoided seeing that show i've been wa watching it in like reverse chronological order um now that show might be it's it's all about like social stresses mm -hmm. and there's a lot of times some social stress generated but i think it's hilarious and i'm laughing a lot so that's good so like yeah find ways uh you know laugh feed fuck whatever whatever uh dismisses those cortisone and uh adrenaline levels mm -hmm. all right what uh, is your weird trick for this week well i had one and then like i just put it off to the last minute and i'm gonna have to half-ass it uh my <laughs> my one weird trick is how to deal with procrastination which i have done um my entire life since uh around junior high when school started getting hard uh, I would put off assignments, um, homework to the very last minute. And I have found as a middle-aged man, it's just gets worse and worse because I get in the cycle where I think I've got enough time. And so my brain doesn't want to buckle down and, and do the work. 
Uh, so I put it off to the last minute until I am so jacked full of stress and, and adrenaline that I kind of like in a state of mad, like 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 uh, like 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 I, I do lines of cocaine metaphorically and in this frantic front uh, 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 unhealthy burst of energy, I complete the project um, and and turn it in. And it causes a lot of stress in my life. And it's something that I have been looking for 15 years for a silver bullet solution to. Now, before I continue, you should know that procrastination is also a symptom of uh, attention deficit disorder and also generalized anxiety disorder. So it could be that you are suffering from that and in which case you shouldn't beat yourself up over it because you could put in your best efforts and without treatment for these, you would still struggle with it. And if you can, you're suffering from procrastination, uh, absolutely be screened for both of these because um, ADD and generalized um, anxiety disorder, I guess GAD, G-A-D, uh, both share a lot of similarities, but their paths of treatments are very different. Like if you got AD&D, they might give you stimulants, whereas if you have generalized anxiety disorder, they'll probably give you an anti-anxiety medicine. Um, but... I know a lot of people who are not like clinically diagnosed with anything, any of these things still suffer from uh, procrastination. So people often procrastinate because they're anxious about a task that they have to complete, uh, complete, obviously. And in many cases, this anxiety can occur as a result of issues with people's self-efficacy, which is their appraisal of their ability to compete, uh, complete a specific task. Now, this is... Um, all this information is from an August 2019 study that I just recently came across, uh, published in Frontiers uh, Psychology. Um, so this idea of self-efficacy, which is a person's appraisal of their ability to complete a specific task, this means that you don't think you're smart enough or prepared enough or capable enough to do the task. And you also don't have a good handle on how hard that task is. And this generates anxiety. This anxiety generates bad feelings, which causes people to put off this now unpleasant and surmountable task. Um, this anxiety gets converted to procrastination because you are overestimating the difficulty of the task and you are underestimating your ability to complete it. So you're inventing these, uh, you know, mountains, out of molehills and you yourself think that you are a tiny ant instead of a powerful person that can capable of climbing a mountain. So enter this 2019 study. Uh, I will link all this stuff, of course, in the show notes. Um, but there's this technique called inquiry based stress reduction that they're talking about. Um, IBSR. And if you're familiar with the concept of like cognitive behavioral therapy, you might recognize this as like a very specialized form of it. So I'm going to read a lot just from the study here. Um, the IBSR method uses a specific set of questions to allow for the identification and exploration of stressful conditions like I'm not able to study sufficiently. In a first step, participants of the study reflected on their emotions, uh, such as test anxiety, the effects such as procrastination causes like negative experiences in school, the benefits like short term relief from anxiety from procrastination and dysfunctionality, like lower achievement of their stressful cognition in an experimental manner. In a second step, participants are encouraged to imagine reality without the distortions caused by the successful cognition, this way allowing for new and potentially more positive experiences, like feelings of relief or curiosity. In the final step of the IBSR method, participants are guided to find concrete evidences of the validity of the opposite of their stressful cognitions, like I am able to study sufficiently, and to explore whether the opposite could also be true. This is done in order to help them overcome the tendency to seek or interpret evidence in ways that are biased by already existing beliefs. Uh, and that's where you're running into the confirmation, the well-known confirmation bias. Mm. This approach can be summed to be effective as a newfound arguments are self-created and this way is more convincing. So uh, in some IBSR should allow for a debate of stressful cognitions through experimental self-exploration and rational persuasions. And like they said, uh, this approach should be more effective than uh, your average self-help approach because they're all arguments you make to yourself and it's a self-exploration and that you're more likely to trust that process. So I actually have this uh, report in front of me and there's a little PDF that they made uh, where they guide you through a process of, of this uh, IBSR, this inquiry-based right. stress reduction. Break it down. So 
first question, and this is a yes, no answer is if so, you're you're thinking about your task and you feel something that's causing procrastination. So the first thing is the first thing you have. Your first question <laughs> is, is this thing true? Is this thought true? Yes or no? Um, so you might be like, oh, my God, I better start on this test now or I might fail. You know, is that test? Is that is that thought true? Can do you actually have to start now? Um uh, second question is, can you absolutely know whether this thought is true? Um, the answer, yes or no to that. Then an open-ended series of questions, you say, how do you react and what happens when you have this thought? For example, does this thought bring peace or stress to your life? What images are you seeing in the past or future as you think about this thought? Are you thinking about previous experiences in school, previous experiences in life and work? Um, what physical sensations arise having these thoughts and seeing these feeling uh, pictures? Is your chest getting tight? Is your mouth getting dry? Are your hands getting sweaty? Um, uh, do, do, is there a buzzing going on between your ears? Uh, what emotions arise when you have this thought? Are you getting angry about the thought? Are you feeling nervous or worried about the thought? Uh, do any obsessions or addictions begin to appear when you have this thought? For example... I'm worried about this assignment. I'm going to go check the fridge or I'm worried about this assignment. Uh, I need to chill out and smoke a bowl uh, <laughs> or I'm worried about the assignment. I'm going to go on Amazon and shop for that. Whatever that mm-hmm. I've been thinking about um, or I'm going to flip on curb your enthusiasm and de-stress, you know? Yeah. Um, the other questions are how do you treat others when you have this thought, which I think is interesting because I find what I procrastinate, I get very angry and irritable with people. Because um, I'm trying to self-medicate my anxiety and they're interfering with it. Or I'm frantically trying to get something done and I don't have time for their bullshit. And then finally, how do you treat yourself when you have this thought? Which is always illuminating. Because I always find that I'm very hard, I'm very critical, and I'm very cruel to myself when I'm in these procrastination zones. So... Um, then the fourth series of questions are around who you would be without this thought. And these are very open-ended questions too. So some techniques you could do is turn your thought around. For example, if you're thinking my teacher did not prepare me well enough for the exam, you could turn that around to yourself and say, I did not prepare myself well enough for the exam. You could turn it to the other by saying envisioning ways you did not prepare your lecture well enough for the exam. For example, maybe you didn't understand the concept or too embarrassed to say something um, and you never followed up that teacher to get that experience, that, that thing. And that's now a stopping point for you or redirect it to the opposite. For example, my lecturer did prepare me well enough for the exam because a lot of this again goes back to we are underestimating ourselves and overestimating the task. Um, and then finally, the final part of these IBSR is find at least three specific genuine examples of how each turnaround is true for you in this situation. So I think that um, a big part of this, like with CBT, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, is you're interrupting um, the cycle between your emotions, spinning your thoughts and controlling your thoughts and leading you into destructive behaviors. And you're pausing and separating the thought from the emotion and the physical feeling. And you're trying to learn how to redirect that, those thoughts. Um, I haven't had a lot of experience um, putting this into place in my life uh, as of yet. Because uh, with recent events, I feel like I've been in just immediate mode, like whatever's in front of me, I got to take care of. And I haven't had any long term projects, Uh, although I just got one put on my table. I got to prepare for something 30 days from now that's going to require several hours worth of work. Um, And I got to start doing it pretty quick. So I'm going to start using this IBSR and see how it goes. Um, Again, if you're if you got something like ADD or general anxiety it's probably not a silver bullet for anybody, but it's another technique um, that seems to have some clinical efficacy uh, of uh, helping some people break these cycles of procrastination. And I just feel like a lot of people struggle with this uh, and a oh, lot of yeah. people are probably beating themselves up unnecessarily and engaging in a lot of negative uh, cynical spirals of thinking that's that's doing more damage than good. So here's one weird trick. The uh, I, IBSR, Inquiry-Based Stress Reduction Approach to Procrastination. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. You're and, uh, welcome. Check back in with you in a few weeks and see how that's going. Yeah, yeah. So you better not put it off. I better not. <laughs> I better start. I better start asking where this anxiety that I'm feeling is coming from. 
Well, we have a few listeners who wrote in with some requests for weird tricks and to share their own experiences. If you would like to send in any of your own, you can do so at OWT at SwizzBowl.com. And we'll look forward to seeing those emails. I have one here from the Anonymous Hulk. What is the Anonymous Hulk secret? The Anonymous Hulk secret is that they've been on their own little journey for the past year or so. And in listening to the last couple of OWT episodes, I wanted to share two things that have helped me a bit. Re-anger. I grew up in a family that didn't have a healthy relationship with anger. When I first started facing my anger head on, I wouldn't have labeled some of it as anger. I didn't know how to identify that I was angry or that the physical sensations or mental loops I was in were symptoms of my being angry and not settling and holding my boundaries. Um, I'm going to interrupt this email real quick and say that I had the exact same experience. Anger isn't exactly punching a wall or yelling at someone. It comes in so many different ways. And it can be directed inward as well as outward. Exactly. Uh, Email continues. Over the last year, I've been able to face and process some of my anger and learn my own tricks. In case this is helpful at all, a couple of things that have helped me. As Aaron stated, truly listening and recognizing our bodily sensations can help us to understand and better process how we're feeling. If you can hear your emotions, sometimes you can feel a physical release from acknowledging them. But even if you don't get that, often hearing your emotions can help you identify what caused you to be angry in the first place. I have to tell myself this a lot. Anger is a totally normal feature of the human condition. It's a normal thing to feel and experience. Being able to recognize and see it doesn't make it any worse or give it strength or power over you. Quite the contrary. Learn to laugh and experience things. This has been a tough one for me, but the more progress I make, the more it seems like I would be dead or mute or lifeless if I didn't have my feelings to help guide my human experience. As a man, it would have been helpful if there had been room for that when I was a boy. I suspect I would have formed a more effective relationship with these feelings sooner. I was encouraged to mask and push down most, if not all of my feelings, most, if not all of the time. Yeah, that's a great, uh, that's a great weird trick to show, to, to, to share with everybody. And it's something I, cause I, anger is a big part of my family. And if you, when I hear my dad talk about the family history, it just like manifests, like how angry he's been, how angry my grandfather was, how angry my great, great grandfather was. And I'm trying real hard to break that cycle. Um, one of the things I, I could pick this up from his book by Terrence Real called, I think it's I don't want to talk about it because uh, he wrote two. There's one. It's like, I don't want to talk about it, which is about men with like depression and anger issues. And there's one I think it's uh, how do I get through to you, which is kind of like uh, if you got an angry man in your life and you're like their partner or a friend or whatever, and you want to um uh, like learn more about that from that perspective. It's that we had a one patient that had this technique that I haven't done physically, but I've done like mentally um, to help. Whereas his father was super angry and would fly into these rages and it would scare his mom and him and make everybody feel bad. And he kept a picture of his dad who had passed away. He had like a heart attack at a, you know, in his mid fifties, he'd keep a picture of his dad in his breast pocket. And whenever he felt like himself going into that red zone, he would take out the picture and like look at his dad and be like, I'm doing this for you, dad. I'm going to scream at my kid and tribute to you. And I'm going to like like this big performative thing. And I don't do that. But of late when I've had things like when we're packing for a trip and we're running a little bit late um, through some kind of like self-determined timeline and I'm getting really impatient with like Cecily or Jack, I'll think about my dad being red faced and angry and like, you know, starting off the trip with a real bummer experience for everybody. And like just mentally thinking, and that kind of calms me down. Like, Oh, that was ugly. That didn't help. That didn't make anybody feel better. Um, but yeah, uh, everything that, uh, the anonymous Hulk here says is right on. What, if, what do you think? I think that, um, this is not a uniquely male experience because female anger is something that doesn't really talked about as much as male anger is, I think. But male feelings aren't talked about as much either. True. You know, I think you shared something on Twitter recently about, uh, you know, toxic masculinity and how boys are taught at an early age to kind of stop 
being in tune with our emotions. And hopefully this is changing less the more society becomes more progressive. But, you know, men are taught not to cry and uh, really just make emotions a female problem, but it's an everyone problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that there's something that's working for you. Just, uh, you know, like the emailer said, sometimes even just acknowledging and being aware of the emotion, whatever it is, even if you're misidentifying, being aware of what the emotion is or being aware of your feelings just helps so much in calming yourself and addressing addressing things. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I think last weekend or maybe the weekend before, um, Donald Glover, a.k.a. Childish Gambino, dropped a new album and we were listening to it. And one of the interludes, he's having a conversation with his son. And his son's like very small, like, I don't know, five or six. And he's talking about, like, who do you love? And he's like, I love you and I love my mommy and I love Mammy and I love myself. And he's just saying sweet, all this. And I... I was cooking at the time and I was just thinking as I was listening to this, like, Jesus, what the hell do we do to men that we go from this? Like, we all start from this place of, like, love and acceptance and self-love and we get to these lifeless husks that we become. Like, I know it's part of it's the world, but a lot of it uh, in general, like, it's hard to have that childlike wonder and love and acceptance just with hard contact with the world. Mm-hmm. But we also do it to ourselves we let society do it to it. We let other people do it to it, do it to us. And it's just really sad. And Mm -hmm. that's where a lot of this anger, uh, comes from. Um, so yeah, thanks for, thanks for those weird tricks. Appreciate it. Next up is Ein Frau. I am not a mental health professional. Well, we we share something in common, (laughs) but I am an emergency department, emergency department RN. So I have some familiarity with the MMPI. Uh, Can I just say like, Right now, as an emergency department RN, mm-hmm. thank you for your service. Yeah, no <laughs> this kidding. It's got to be tough. I hope we get you the PPE that you need to stay safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, they're familiar with the MMPI uh, and DSM-5. So I guess we had some questions last week about, or last time, about what the DSM-5 was and if it's a 500-question test, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So this MMPI is a Minnesota multiphasic personality inventory, and it's a mostly true or false test administered by a mental health care professional that measures personality traits and psychopathology. From what I understand, the original MMPI control group was pretty small and consisted of mostly young, white, married men from the rural Midwest. The test has since been revised and updated with a more diverse control group, but there's still some controversy due to disparity of scores between non-whites and whites. I'm a white person. I don't have a problem with it, so... Uh, The DSM-5 refers to the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, the fifth edition. This book is a classification and diagnostic tool, I think, is introduced in order to standardize mental health terms and diagnosis. And this actually just got uh, supplanted in my lifetime. Uh, The DSM-4 got replaced by the DSM-5. So they're continually updated as we learn more and more about human psychology. Personally, regarding anxiety and depression, I found medication and therapy, including cognitive behavioral therapy, there you go, (laughs) uh, to be very helpful. There's also a few podcasts I really like, such as Unfuck Your Brain with Laura Lynn Lewenthal, which is recommended by a very lovely person on the Bald Move forums, and also Tara Brock, who is, I guess that's the name of her podcast, I looked it up, she's a... uh, psych, uh, psych- uh, uh, a therapist and she uh, looks like she fuses it with Buddhism, talks about meditation and stuff like that. Uh, I you know I never thought about listening to psychological podcasts, uh, even though I'm doing one. Mm-hmm. I think I want to check out some of these and maybe a few, a few more because honestly, I'm getting very bored of listening to like politics podcasts and like comedy podcasts and uh, stuff like that. And I've, 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 I've so many of those are just sitting and unlistened. I, I need something new. And I, I think some psychological stuff, some ther- therapeutic stuff might be in order. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, love what you're doing on both podcast networks and a great sea of podcast options. You are my favorite. That is so adorable. And I appreciate you saying so. Thank you. Makes us feel real good. Ein Frau. Um, so thanks for setting straight on that. Apparently that 500 question test is the multiphasic Minnesota multiphasic personality inventory. Um, did I ever tell you or anyone the first time I went to see a therapist and the first visit, she wanted me to do this personality test. It might've been this one. Mm -hmm. And I said, ah, I think personality tests are bullshit. (laughs) 
And within 60 seconds, I was in one of the most heated arguments I ever had in my life. And the therapist yelled at me, you're the most arrogant person I've ever met. So within 60 seconds. Yeah, it was it was abrupt. And uh, it uh, was not a great introductory to the world of psychotherapy. But uh, (laughs) how long did it take you to go back? Uh, I think just because I was I was committed to getting some kind of help. So it took me a, a couple other a couple weeks to find somebody different. But um, yeah, sometimes you can have uh, and also maybe be flexible. Maybe uh, the Rorschach tests are bullshit, but it just gets you talking, you know, maybe go with the flow for a couple visits. Maybe don't walk A-Ron in and in insult. Yeah, maybe don't walk in and insult someone's profession right off the bat. Yeah, you know, but uh, it's expensive. I don't want to waste time. All right, I got another email here from Big Shoes to Fill. I want to hear it. Uh, They say, I'm a young engineer in the pulp and paper industry, not as glamorous as Tesla or Boeing, I know. I recently moved positions from being a project manager to a more sales-oriented role involving traveling to different mills around the Southeast. The job is essentially just building relationships with many different people in the mills and within our company to facilitate problem-solving and sales. The vast majority of our customers are Southern good old boys that are older Christian Republicans from small secluded mill towns who like hunting, fishing, football, cars, guns, etc. My role's predecessor was one and the same. These are great people, just people with totally different life experiences than me. I'm a young left-leaning millennial from the suburbs of Atlanta, never been hunting, live in a small apartment, no yard, believe in climate change, you get it. We do have some common ground in that I am a Christian, though less fire and brimstone than some of this crowd, own guns, and love football. Two questions for you. One, how do I adequately replace my predecessor to be able to succeed in a hugely social job as an introvert without nearly the same life experience and commonality as my customers? These guys loved him, and I'm concerned I will not be able to live up to the legacy. Uh, I have been you in several situations because I usually for the first part of my career, uh, was the youngest person in the room. And as I worked up like into, uh, senior positions, like when I was 19, I found myself as a ramp agent, uh, FedEx, which means I was responsible for like a crew of 15 people loading an airplane from start to finish. And I had like an old grizzled Marine vet. I had like a 55 year old, like mother of four. Uh, I had tons of people that were way older than me and trying to command their like respect uh, was, was difficult. And then as I found myself becoming a project, project manager, team lead, I was often the youngest person, um, you know, or, or a very young person. And, and with this uh, kind of like age and experience disparity and how do you command these people's respect? Um, the first thing I guess I can tell you is try, and this is goes for all things in life is to divorce the attachment to outcome to the process, because the reality is you have your job to do, but they have their job to do too. Like, and you have no control. Like they need to be like, you know, like they need to not be me going into the therapist office and say, I think the way you do things is bullshit. They have to at least be willing to meet you halfway. Um, but That's a lot to ask of your customers. That's a lot to ask for your customers. But it's like what I'm saying is you don't have control of this outcome 100 percent. Like you could be the best person, uh, but you're not going to be good old Bill and you might fail or struggle. And it's of no fault of your own. You're being the best young version of good old Bills you can be. uh, But there you're just not the same. And there's a there's a change and everybody hates change. So there's a problem. Uh, Second thing is, is like I've always found is the. one of the ways you can get in these people's good graces is just just demonstrate your competence because there's going to be skeptical there's going to be skeptical about your age and experience um and if you can i don't know how you do it in your industry um if there's if there's a way for you to like uh demonstrate your competency early on that helps out a lot because if they can trust that you know, maybe you don't hasn't have as much experience, but whatever training you've had and whatever personal skills you bring to the table, uh, they can respect that. Then that'll that'll be a leg up. Uh, what do you think, Cecily? Yeah, I mean, if it's if having a sales oriented job is something you're interested in, 
long term, then it's something that you should want to feel comfortable in because it's so much different than, you know, the insides of project management. Sure. Uh, so I think there's something that's driving you to want to be a part of this. Um, maybe it's the traveling aspect, which sounds great. But, you know, there's there's things that I should hope don't come up in your profession, which is uh, God and guns <laughs> when you're when you're talking or spending time with these people. So I think maybe don't overthink it. You've got your own really unique personality and aspect and things to offer. So maybe they don't want a replacement. Maybe they looking for someone new and interesting. So, uh, you know, be yourself. And sometimes opposites attract, like really like, um, emotionally motivated people Mm -hmm. sometimes weirdly respect people that are, uh, reserved and, and calm and sometimes reserved and calm people admire, and overly respect people that are emotional and you know so it's like sometimes you can lean into like the opposite to track kind of thing right some of the most interesting conversations i've had are with people who i don't agree with on a lot of things uh-huh. uh so th- that could be an interesting personal challenge and professional obviously second question to what extent should i put on a mask and try to blend in with these guys to build the necessary relationships and succeed in the role I'm not saying i should live in a lie more of just putting in an effort to be interested in what they are interested in emphasizing our common ground and avoiding topics where i know we would have significantly different viewpoints i think i kind of covered that a little bit yeah i'm a big fan of fake it till you make it like you know and it, it can't all be false, but like, I wonder if there's some things you could do to take, you know, like get a fishing license, go to Walmart and buy a $50 rod and like do a little bit of fishing. And that's something you can talk about, like a new hobby and maybe something they'll get, have like opinions on and you can just, uh, oh yeah, tell me about that. And then when you go see him the next time, Hey, I tried that uh, spot that you told me and I caught this and that, you know, um, maybe it's not fishing, maybe it's something else. Um, but maybe take a step to or two or definitely lean into those experiences where you can, you know, like if you're both mm-hmm. Christian and uh, you both enjoy football uh, or you like to shoot, you can definitely lean into that, play up that stuff. Um, but there's nothing wrong with, a. I think that's a skill. That's a skill that, uh, uh, you know, for, for, for the, the be likable is, is a skill and something you can work at. And part of being likable is being agreeable. And honestly, the problem I have is where to stop. Like, you know, where, like, can, where to stop being likable. No, like what I've had is like, cause in some <laughs> of the jobs, <laughs> no, where I, what I've, what I'm saying is agreeable. Um, I've had jobs, you know, working in rural Indiana and rural Ohio where like, I'm having a good, perfectly good conversation. And then, Oh Jesus, this person's super racist. Holy fuck, they just said something racist and they're looking for me for approval. Uh, and to be able to say, uh, and I don't know how you do this in a salesman, but the, the ability to say, well, that's not how I, that's that's not how I see it at all. And then like not get an argument, but at least be able to articulate like one line of like, well, what do you mean? Um, but I don't know, hopefully like in the 20, I mean, I know this isn't true because that's why it's when you're saying like, well, hopefully none of this stuff will come out. No fucking way. It's absolutely going to come out. Um so just be aware of like maybe some top three things of like if they are super Bible thumper or they have things that are like maybe not clan racist, but like old white dude racist, like maybe have a couple of ways to handle that that you could game plan out. Right. And- Practice diversion, you know, move on to a new topic or something like that. If you do get into that sketchy territory, because yeah, or have you- a way to like on ramp it back to what the business is like, right. you know, everyone's got their opinions about how we can help people, but you know, wood pulp. Am I right? Uh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But yeah, there's nothing wrong with, um, there's nothing wrong with being a little bit of a chameleon. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's helped me in my career to be able to show uh, genuine interest in other people's thoughts and opinions and mm-hmm. hobbies. And just, you know, a lot of times you can just, you can keep people busy. Just ask them questions about it. Oh, you like hunting? Oh, what'd you, uh, what season? What, what do you, are you, uh, is a gun or bow or like just start asking questions and people love that shit. Right. Yeah. You might have more to talk about if it's not something you know. Then you can roll that knowledge <laughs> into the next conversation. Pretty right. soon people think you're a, a prime buck hunter or whatever the fuck it is and <laughs> you won't even be. And then you'll start having this fraud complex and that's a whole other thing you can write in <laughs> and ask us about. <laughs> Alright, let's move on to Childless in the Heartland. 
Hi, y'all. I know they're from the heartland because they're y'all and me right up front. <laughs> I'm a guy in my early 30s, and I'm not sure if I want kids. It's not an immediate possibility or desire, especially right now, but I'm not sure if it's something I want in the medium long term. I'll break down my ambivalence into reasons I want them and reasons I don't think I would. Positives. I'm a social scientist, and I think it would be really fascinating to have kids on a purely nature versus nurture level. You should know that those are scientifically, ethically dubious experiments that you're planning and and will probably be shut down by any legitimate uh, research body. Uh, I have nieces and it's been interesting watching them develop into people. I know that's not a great reason to yank a human being out of non-existence, but it's still something I think about. I don't want to miss out on fundamental life experiences. It's such an intense, intensely personal, unique bond to have with another human, both the child and another parent. And it's something, uh, I'm someone who wants to experience life in all of its complexity. Uh, I don't want to regret it later and, or be a really old parent. Um, that's a reasonable fear to have. On the negative side, the environmental impact of having another comparatively rich and resource-intensive person on Earth concerns me greatly, not to mention the morality of bringing a child into the world that seems like an increasingly unpredictable place to live. I don't feel excited about the inevitable life changes that come with having kids, like the financial burden, time and energy commitments, etc. I also struggle with depression and have a very strong multi-generational family history of it. I worry about not being able to give the child the care they need and deserve because of this, as well as passing those traits onto my kids. I know you're both coming from very different places in terms of parenting, so I'd love to hear your perspectives on it. Why did you make the decisions you did, and is there anything you wish you'd known or considered earlier? Thanks for your help as I mull over this trivial and unimportant (laughs) decision. (laughs) As a parent, I think... That if you have mixed feelings at all, you should not have kids. Um, Having said that, I was a person that did not want kids and kind of got bullied into having kids. And a kid. And it has been a very rewarding and positive experience. Um, But it's not all roses. Like, I I love my kid and I think I'm very proud of him. And he's a very he's a very good child. Um, but there's been, there's been bumps along the road and there's times where I've questioned myself and my fitness as a parent and whether I'm doing a good job. Um, but it's something I've really worked at too. Cause I knew, I knew I had those mixed feelings and I set up a, a, a couple kind of rules for myself. Like, you know, that, uh, to keep me from, you know, I was worried about, I'd be a selfish parent. I'd be an inattentive parent. So I, I, I set a couple of rules that kind of like, force myself to to be in those roles like I really want to be involved with him as a baby uh, you know when we got divorced I really wanted a 50-50 co-parenting thing I made a really bright rule that like I would not break plans or change my child support schedules just to do like fun things like if my buddies wanted to go you know camping I'm sorry I got jacked that weekend um, and that that helped me and also just reading and studying a lot about you know uh, trying to get the best kind of professional advice on and how to raise children. And anytime I have a problem with Jack, I, I go and research like, you know, what do you do with a kid who is, uh, I don't know, struggling with school or what do you do with a kid that, uh, is procrastinating on the important stuff as much as you do? Uh, because most of the time we were raised by parents who didn't do a great job and didn't have as many resources as we did. And like, I, it's, it's it's crazy to me that like when my parents were raised, there's a raging debate about whether you should hit your kids. And I feel like that has been largely resolved at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, like who knows what's happened in the last 30 years of, of, of research? You got to keep up on that. Um, so, yeah, uh, don't have kids unless you're 100 percent committed uh, to, to having them. I mean, you can still have fear and doubt. But you, you, the desire to do it, you know, you should. You, it's kind of like jumping out of an airplane. Don't fucking jump out of an airplane unless you're 100 percent certain that you want that experience, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, but then, yeah, if if you're if you are conflicted, uh, nature's going to do a lot for you. When that kid is put on your arms, there are all kinds of endorphins, and your body is primed to want to love and cherish and protect that life. Um, and the vast majority of people have that experience upon having their their son or daughter um so that's my my experience um the one other thing i'd say is like i wonder if you could just invest in like your nieces or you know there's so many children there's so many children that need mentors nowadays um like you know what if you had your nieces and nephews um 
and you built like really strong relationships with them. And, you know, you were that cool uncle or the one that could give them advice or invested a lot of time with them. And then, you know, is it unreasonable to think that they might visit their favorite uncle when he's in a nursing home in his old age? <laughs> um, can you build intense friendships that will keep you, uh, you know, that aren't going to abandon you in your old age? Um, I, I sometimes think that's a little bit of an overblown worry. There's definitely ways to have those relationships later in life without. And also ask my mom how much help I'm going to give her when she's in her old age. The answer is zero. I don't give a shit what happens to her. So like having a child does not mean you have like a slave that will take care of you all your life. You have to you have to invest in that relationship as, as much as any others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From my perspective, I have a younger brother who was who is 14 years younger than me so from a very young age i was in the position where i was taking care of a child and you know raised him for the first few five years of his life those really important formative years and i've also gotten the experience of being a step parent those things aside i have never felt the pull or need or want to have children When you and I first got married, well, before that, which is a conversation you should have before you get married, (laughs) absolutely, Mm -hmm. uh, is something we really mulled over because you already had a child who Jack was six at the time. So we knew that if we were going to have children, it was something we needed to do immediately. Um, And it just wasn't ever something that I felt strongly pulled in the direction of doing. Now, I love having... Like my friend had a baby and your sister has had a baby since then. I love babies. I love cute little things, of course. And I get my fill from, like you said, uh, you know, kind of being a mentor to all those people in my life. And that's how I get that connection. Yeah, there wasn't really a lot of like internal debate and struggle that it went on with me. It just is not something that I wanted to do. I still don't want to do it. Um, but there are options you can, you know, you can freeze your sperm or your eggs, things like that to leave your possibilities open for the future. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's just adoption. There's adoption, fostering kids, all kinds of people out there that need your help. If you're willing to give it, but don't want to make a commitment to the next 18 minimum dogs cats <laughs> uh, however long you can you can push a dog <laughs> in a baby bassinet there's no law against it <laughs> yeah um i will die old and alone on the street no one's gonna pay for me to be in a nursing home i'm sure but i don't plan on living that long so yeah i think i've thought this through i <laughs> uh, see i think jack as well as your nieces and nephews and your brother you're not going to be bereft of companionship in your old age yeah, no, and that's not uh, that hasn't ever been a concern for me either. Who's going to take care of me when I'm older? Um, yeah, it's just not something I think about. And I have had pressure put on me slightly from my own family saying that, you know, you're just not going to be fulfilled or you don't understand how complete how this makes your life so complete. And I think that's also a bad reason. Mm-hmm to put that much uh, to put that many hopes and fears onto another person for your own happiness. Right. Cause it's isn't a, lot a great of, reason either. It's, it's a lot of work and it's not all a bed of roses. <laughs> it's great. Like, don't get me wrong. Like having kids is a rewarding experience. If you've got the resources <laughs> and the time and attention to do so. Right. But it also can be super fucking miserable. Yeah. Or, you know, you, you end up putting all of the fears and, Uh, struggles and things that you are avoiding Mm -hmm. by having children onto this other person. So you're putting an undue amount of stress, just pushing it off to the next generation. Yeah. And, you know, I do have a lot of, a lot. I don't know how many until I take the MMPI, (laughs) but I do have multi-generational mental health struggles that I'm sure I'd pass on to my children as well. Now, with that said, Sometimes I just for fun like to fantasize about what our kids would look like and be like. Cause you simulated it in a program called The Sims several <laughs> the Sims. times. Well, that doesn't count. <laughs> but 
Yeah, our kids would be beautiful. They'd be big. They'd be strong. Warriors. Warriors. Got like a Brienne of Tarth, uh, uh, Tormund, Giantsbane thing going on here. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. They'd be champions. Champions of men. Insufferable, arrogant messes. Uh Uh-huh. That'd be perfect. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-huh. I don't know. Yeah, I like this um, pro and con list that you've got going on here, child list, and uh, I hope we've helped in some way. Yeah, no, at the end of the day, um, it's always nice to frame life events as choices that you make, you know, that these are not things that like, uh, um, oh, you know, I just kind of fucked around in my 20s and 30s and now I'm 40 and it's too late and don't do that. Make it do make a choice. Decide like, you know, uh, what and whatever you do, decide you're going to be happy with it. Like if you bring in life into this world, then choose to. Uh, fully embrace that path and do the best job. And if you decide that's not really for you or, man, I'm not sure. So uh, it's probably not ethical to do it. Then uh, embrace and fully live and enjoy that because it's a, it's, I mean, I get jealous of my, my partner, Jim all the time. Uh, <laughs> Cause like I recognize that there's experiences and opportunities I have to pass on and like, you know, financial things I can't do just because I've got a lot of resources sunk into this other investment that I've made. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, yeah, like, you know, sometimes uh, childless couples can be fucking insufferable because they're just so much energy and time and money. And <laughs> so like, you know, if you're, that's a choice you, you go down, then the, embrace the positives from that too. Mm-hmm. All right, that's all the weird tricks we've got this week. Aaron will be back next week with his political podcast, Three Right Turns. Mm -hmm. And we will together be back for another one weird trick the week after that. If you have any feedback for us or you want to submit your request for weird tricks to improve your life, love, and happiness, you can email us at owtswizbold.com. Thank you so much to all of our Patreon supporters. We couldn't do this without you. Mm -mm. I especially would like to thank our Fred Level patrons by name, Angelo Morano, Arvin Rao, Kira Grusho, Laura Luthi, and Mark Hahn. Thank you so much for supporting us. Again, don't forget our monthly Patreon live stream on Thursday, April 9th. This you, Thursday. This Thursday. You can join at patreon.com slash to be a part of that live event. And we can't wait to see you then. Yeah, and if you're Tiger or above, send us some questions or topics or whatever you want to talk about. Take advantage of that. And until that time, I'm Aaron. And I'm Cecily. Have a great week.